Hello everyone. Uh, we are back after a long time. I haven't made any podcast for a while right now, but we are back and I'm happy to be here. Uh, I have my friend here, Peter, and uh, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you very much. Can Thank you, you. Can you introduce yourself to us? Absolutely. Uh, hey everyone, I'm Peter. I uh, studied uh, at the same university that you're studying at. Just different faculty. I studied history and English. Uh, those were my majors. Originally, I'm from Hungary. I spent some time in abroad, and then uh, I came back. So that's it, basically. Studied abroad. Where, where did you study? Uh, I lived abroad, but also studied a little bit. But that's, that's just an excuse <laughs> to somehow uh-huh. stay there. Uh, I spent a decade in Canada. A decade, yeah, like ten years. That's mm-hmm. that's a lot of time. How w- yeah. on which between which ages you mean? Like what happened? Uh, what 20, was the reason? Twenty-seven, yeah, twenty-seven, thirty-eight, on and off, yeah. Twenty-seven, thirty-eight. I just decided to go there, and yeah, that's Move to it. Canada, and, uh, but which city you were, and what were you doing? Or? Uh, in Montreal, mainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, I visited a friend or a colleague. Then I became international student, spent a year as a student, and then I immigrated and spent a few more years there as a resident. And eventually, I became a citizen. So now I have dual That's citizenship. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> why, why are you back in page? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People tend to think that Canada is a paradise on earth and everything is just perfect. And Well, isn't it? It's basically the same as Hungary. Is it? Yeah, except uh, the weather is horrible. <laughs> so Hungary is better. Yeah. And people are the same, basically. I mean, the basic human attributes, they don't change because of your nationality or religion. People are going to be people, so... Yeah, for me, there was not a huge uh, difference between the two countries. And of course, it, it's nice and it has beautiful areas that you should definitely visit. But after a while, I just asked myself, why should I pay two, three times more just to survive every month when I can just as easily live and survive in Hungary? But the, isn't it the you say the cultures and like the people were the same? But how is that the same? Isn't it the culture different a bit, like uh, compared to Hungary? Yeah, the culture is different, definitely. But uh, when you look at people uh, deep down, they are basically the same. They complain oh, yeah. about the same things. They want the same things, and even without thinking about why they want them. But you know, that, it's that's, a human instincts, no? Yeah, basically. Yeah, that's interesting. It was nice, I'm not complaining. Just after a while, what's the point in, you know, the uh, hamster wheel, you're running yeah, non-stop. And yeah, if you look at uh, Canadian middle class, basically that's what they are doing. And every year it gets a little bit worse and more difficult. Oh, you mean the the whole, like, the gap difference, you mean it's getting, like, higher or... Uh, yeah, because the middle class is being squeezed in every country, but it becomes, it's becoming more harder to, uh, maintain your standard of living because you are slowly being squeezed Mm -hmm. by... you can't do anything about it. 
not really, you can work more <laughs> if you want, <laughs> but <laughs> they are already working a lot more. So, uh, yeah, basically, if if good example is when you just walk around in the city and you look at the beautiful neighborhoods, but after a while you start thinking about, okay, what kind of people live in those beautiful houses? What do they do every day? And you realize that they are chasing the so-called American dream because that's what they saw on TV and in the movies. And they don't really think about it. And they just work to maintain a dream or a fantasy. And they're the... never going to reach that dream or fantasy. Uh, well, uh, they cannot because it's not real in the yeah. first place. But also, they will never be satisfied and happy because they live in a big house and have a big car. But, you know, they don't think about this. Yeah, things. because they always desire. There's nothing like they can, like, attach. No, nothing is enough, basically. Yeah, yeah. Nothing is enough for them. And that's that's perfectly normal. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. We always want more. Of course. Like, we're human beings, no? Yeah. We always desire. But, you know, I can do the same here. Especially now, because... A lot of people work online, so you can actually live in one country and work in another mm -hmm. without moving. So, so what's the point? Yeah, exactly. But it's, it's nice uh, to visit, but yeah, that's it. you you go back time to time, or well, not during this fantastic COVID pandemic, <laughs> but uh, not with the stupid rules. <coughs> but before, yeah, yeah, I for years I spent six months there, six months here, and yeah. What did you like about uh, Canada? The place democracy. is nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Real democracy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, That's a different subject. Yeah, I know. Like, um, I think we had it, like a little bit of discussion about uh, what happened in Canada during COVID situation that like uh, yeah. with the truckers that did what they did to them, actually. Yeah. That was ridiculous, wasn't it? But even years when I first moved there, I was surprised coming from Hungary or I guess coming from a European country. When you walk on the street, the police presence, you see police all the time. Really? absolutely here Why? you barely see them yeah, on the you don't street. see police here yeah and they just show up they're like a ghost yeah. you yeah. just like they're <laughs> they, like hey they haunt you <laughs> in your dreams you go you go in a, the like a wrong direction or like a you know yeah. a street which is like a one direction they're like hey what's up where are you going yeah but over there i was surprised as a newcomer that police everywhere and over time i realized that it's an extremely regulated country with amount of regulation and the strong police presence. I mean, there must be a reason for that. And then I got to know a little bit of the local culture, the history. Like, for one example, alcoholism was always a big problem over there. I think drugs are like a big deal over there. Yeah, drugs too. So, you know, looking... F Looking at Canada and the U.S. from Europe, you get the feeling that it's like a... Paradise. Paradise, a liberal wonderland. But uh, when you live there and you experience it, you realize that you are regulated in every area of life. And uh, it doesn't really limit the way you live. It doesn't restrict you, but you have to abide by the rules. And those rules are, at least for me, it seemed like... They had a lot more rules. For example, you cannot be in a public park at night. 
What? Like every public park has a sign, or almost every public park within a city, that you cannot be here between, let's say, 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. Why? Because you cannot. That's it. <laughs> and if you are there, you get a fine for X hundred dollars, or I don't know. But yeah, no reason. Like they don't have they don't have any explanation for this. Or? I never researched. <laughs> I never asked anyone why. But uh, yeah, you can see every single park has a sign that you are not allowed to be here after whatever ten, eleven. I don't know what could it be. Like it's it's a place for like you know junkies to go do injections or something like that. Mm, maybe yeah, that could be one reason. Yeah, but because it's too dark or. <laughs> I don't know. They are afraid of the dark. <laughs> Some people don't have home and just, no, that's ridiculous. Okay. And then another, they have a centralized, now it depends on the province because every province has their own rules, but they have a centralized system for selling alcohol. Like you are supposed to go to a certain store to buy alcohol. Okay. That's not that bad. Yeah. But I mean, it's some restriction with alcohol. Coming from Europe, none. it's a little bit weird, at least for me. Yeah, <laughs> but like if you go, if you go like north of Europe, like Norway or mm -hmm. those countries are like also very restricted with the alcohol yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I, I heard that they actually close up at around six or something like that, and you can't really. They have a dealer for alcohol in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's interesting. To have a dealer for alcohol. They're just calling your dealer like at night. Please, can I have some beer? Sounds like Iran. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. It does. My country is not really in good situation. I don't know. Um, well, I'm trying to... I, I actually ask you, because you have a expertise in history. Of course. Uh, to get some information, like some... Yeah, some useful information basically out of you about like past history, about revolution and like what happened, this dictatorship like countries and like what happens that people like, you know, uh, started movements and uh, what is the whole like, I just I just want to know a lot about it because I'm very noob in this. I don't know much about it. And uh, I just brought you here that could help us maybe some audience between between my audience as well. So could, like use your help. Okay, and, we'll uh, try. Uh, the first question I wanted to ask about revolution actually was that what is revolution? Like simple question. <laughs> simple question, but not <laughs> a simple answer. I'm afraid. <laughs> Probably. Uh, I would say that in general, a revolution is it happens when something sparks a huge movement, or maybe the movement is already there because the underlying tensions in society are leading to a certain situation where the people get angrier and angrier and when they reach the boiling point then suddenly they erupt and then violence can happen whatever but the key moment is when the big masses the wide masses move and when they go out on the street to protest against the existing regime i would call that a revolution um and then, of course, the existing regime, the ancien regime, as they usually call them, it comes from French, uh, it tries to respond to this movement, either to crush it or to consolidate the situation, to appease some of them. You can find many different examples. Uh, it, it has so many aspects. 
Uh, it depends on a lot of factors what happens once the revolution actually starts. One of the things that it wonders me is that um, why, like, why these countries never compromise with people? They know that eventually, like eventually, like sooner or later, if they're gonna like push people down like this, they're gonna erupt. Like this, this anger gonna erupt at at some point, and it's gonna lead to a revolution. Why they don't just like compromise a bit with the people? And of course, like every country has the corruption, but they still compromise with people. Like they care, they take care of the people. Why did they do this? What what is the stupidness that they don't learn? Like, what is this stupidity that they don't learn from mm-hmm. the past and history? Because every dictatorship, like in the past history, we've seen that they fall apart. They never like uh, stay that long. Is that true? Uh, yes and no. I would say it's not stupidity. It's basically what the dictators and their servants or underlings do is based on historical knowledge and on cultural traditions. What they are doing is perfectly normal to them and to many people in those countries. It depends on the country, it depends on local traditions and the history of the country, if you can even call it a country, because, you know, some countries have serious ethnic uh, religious conflicts and they are not exactly united. But uh, when it comes to dictators, it's not stupid. What they're doing is, I wouldn't call it stupid. Because where they come from, you have to remember that they come from a different generation. And the world 40, 50 years ago was completely different than it is today. And even today, we have dozens of conflicts all around the world. But we don't really talk about them because we are not interested they happen outside Europe, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, of course. They don't exist. They could be on Mars. <laughs> for as, long, as long as it doesn't, doesn't hurt, hurt the Western countries, it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's basically how it works. And many, very often, we are perfectly fine working with dictators and dictatorial, dictatorial regimes because they are useful. How are they useful exactly? Well, look at Egypt before and after the Arab Spring. It worked perfectly together with the United States. And for many decades before that, Egypt and Israel were uh, mortal enemies. They fought many wars against each other. But mm, I don't remember the exact timing, but probably 1980s, I would say, Egypt kind of switched sides and realized that working with the United States could be beneficial. So they would keep their own regime. They would work with the U.S. They would get uh, military aid, arms, from the U.S. instead of the Soviet Union. They would not fight a war against Israel. Uh, But then back at home, things would continue the same way. And for the U.S., Having a dictatorial or authoritarian regime in Egypt was perfectly fine because all they cared was avoiding conflict between Egypt and Israel. So it was useful for the US, it was useful for Israel, and it was useful for the regime in Egypt. 
but uh, okay i i, I kind of understand that like for example uh bringing or like shutting down this conflict between egypt and israel is a good like strategy for america but what is the strategy in keeping the dictatorship they could have a, like a proper democracy in no. egypt why not <laughs> that's what the arab spring showed of course many people claim that the west doesn't really support democratic movements in the middle east but the reality is that these movements either don't exist or we uh, overestimate their importance and even if they gain some influence within a certain country they don't really last because the fundamental uh, fundamental the basics are missing because the in every single country it's a little bit different but basically if you look at the middle east mm, we could also mention most of africa latin america central asia definitely they don't really have a tradition when it comes to democracy. You should never forget that even for the Western countries to arrive at some form of democracy, it took us hundreds of years, dozens or hundreds of revolutions and internal conflicts, mm -hmm. a lot of bloodshed to finally arrive at a relatively stable situation. Mm -hmm. And then we want other countries, just like with uh, climate change, we want the other countries to leapfrog, to skip like a few hundred steps to arrive at the same level where we are. But it doesn't really happen because society has to undergo a slow, gradual process of development. And the local institutions have to adapt to these changes slowly, gradually, because they want to preserve their own power, of course, all the time, which is what always happens. And when revolutions break out, the real question is not whether the revolution takes place or not. The real question is what happens after the revolution. Mm -hmm. Because very easily you can end up at the same place. That's true. Like Just with Egypt, with, for example. Yeah. And in Egypt, uh, you had the Muslim Brotherhood for a while, but they were not really reliable for certain other powers, I guess. And they were maybe not, not really popular in Egypt after a while because they couldn't fulfill their promises of course nobody can nobody can transform a country within five years and then the existing institutions like the army in Egypt they came back because they still hold real power it doesn't really matter who sits in the presidential palace they're gonna control the whole country yeah that's basically how it works and in the case of Iran even if a revolution takes place, the real question is who is going to hold real power? And you cannot simply remove the revolutionary guard, the army, the police and the administrators from the equation. You cannot erase them unless you want to exterminate all of them. They will still be there in some form or another. And they will try to preserve their own power and influence, just like everybody else. So even if a revolution takes place, the real question is how these institutions will behave and whether somebody can actually 
keep the momentum going and compromise with these existing institutions to arrive at some form of new government. And then at the same time, whoever the supposed leader is of the revolution, he or she has to somehow find a compromise with foreign powers who will have to be appeased. For a revolution, do a revolution need actually a foreign support? Very often, yes, because the uh, those who actually start the revolution, they very often don't have the means to uh, remove the existing regime. What do you mean you don't, they don't have the means? In most cases, they don't have the arms. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, you need armed conflict if the regime resists. If you can find hundreds of examples, but in the case of France, when they tried to remove the king from power, the king was weak and indecisive, but at the same time he tried to maintain his power. And he wasn't always, he didn't always respond in a violent way, but he relied on foreign uh, help as well. And foreign help arrived because the other kingdoms uh, wanted to preserve France as a kingdom. So in that case, the king received foreign support, not the revolutionaries. They were still able to remove the king eventually, but then years and years of war followed. Like a civil war inside the country. A civil war and a war against other powers, basically most of Europe. <laughs> Because most of Europe... Uh, formed coalitions against France because they feared what the change was bringing. Mm-hmm. So uh, you are saying that um, this whole revolution thing and changing the to, to from uh, like a dictatorship to democracy, it will take a long time. It's not like a process of like I don't know, uh, just like a sudden like change and everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be like uh, yeah, beautiful what... and that's like dreamy. To think about it. Yeah, that's it? what people always hope for. But after the revolution takes place, they realize that life is not really better. Because they still have to face the same problems. Not enough food, not enough money, not enough oil, whatever you want to uh, look at. So the economic situation will not change overnight. So people will very quickly be unsatisfied with the new regime, even if there's an actual new regime that is trying to stabilize the country. So uh, I have one question. Like I'm gonna jump into this like different one. Uh, the first one is like I don't know if you heard that um, some of the journalists, like Iranian journalists, who are like actively fighting over the regime, like uh, toward the regime, as They're like seeing and meeting the uh, prime minister in France, and mm-hmm. uh, they have a, they had a meeting, and uh, the prime minister in France actually like pronounced that uh, pronounced this like movement of Iranian people as a revolution. How how is that going to impact the whole situation? I don't think it have a big impact. It it will have a big impact. No. Well, it's one thing that if the prime minister... Is it the prime minister or the president of France? Uh, prime minister. I mean, they, they have a prime minister who has the power, no? Uh, Mer- yeah, but in France, the president has more power. 
is it Macron? Or? Macron, it's Macron. Oh, okay, so the president. Well, oh, my mistake. It's nice thing to it's a nice thing to say, but uh, you know, France will not interfere in any way. So these are just words at the moment. I don't think it it has any impact. Maybe a little bit of encouragement for some Iranians, but uh, yeah, that's it. What can they do? Like, what is the what is the thing that like people outside or like foreigners could do to help this revolution to happen? Is there something that actually can they can do? Besides sending encouragement online, yeah. And right now, not really. You can express your sympathies and uh, that you uh, feel with the the movement, but uh, yeah, that's about it. Because it's not up to us. The real questions are not answered by us, ordinary people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sometimes it leads to a big movement and a huge uh, revolutionary uh, change. But the real questions are answered way above our heads. So the real question is what United States, Russia and China want in Iran. To they have the power. Yeah. And they have to think about the possible consequences of, of removing the existing regime. What will replace the regime? Mm-hmm. And then you have the nuclear weapons. What is going to happen to those nuclear weapons. Maybe it's better for them to keep uh, corrupt and... So you think we have nuclear weapon? Yeah, at least a few. <laughs> Do you think it's a big bluff? <laughs> I feel like it's a big bluff because like I was uh, I was watching something like um, a guy who has this like, you know, superpower of like uh, you know just giving speech and like talking to people and convincing them like iranian regime is good and uh he's like he was like uh i was listening to him and he actually gives a very uh big vibe of fear to people like he was saying that like yeah actually if we want to move out you think we're gonna give the missiles to the next regime? Mm. We're just gonna use all these missiles. Why do you what like we we worked for this for like I don't know 50 years? Why do we have to give it so easily to somebody else? You know? Yeah. They were like it, it uh, but at uh, this is very like I, I I get fearful, of course. I get uh, I get scared, but at the same time, I'm like, um, is it is maybe he's bluffing? Maybe he's bluffing because like they're afraid of revolution, actually. They're afraid of us. In a way, he is bluffing because I'm sure the weapons exist. I'm sure that Iran does have nuclear weapons. Maybe not dozens, but a few at least. But it's like... Uh, how should I say this? It's like a guarantee for the regime. A guarantee for survival. That's exactly why, yes, that's exactly why the regime wants nuclear weapons, because they know that once you have them, you cannot just be removed easily. That's why North Korea has nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And when they look at the case of Saddam Hussein in Iraq, 
then they can see that, whoops, he didn't have nuclear weapons, he didn't have weapons of mass destruction, even though the Americans lied about them, but he didn't. And there you go, he got removed. And Very he, easily. Huh? And he ended up hanging. Yeah. I loved to see him hanging. It was nice. Yeah, but even that, and look at where Iraq is today. It's a mess. Yeah, but he was a horrible, horrible person. Like He, he was. He actually like destroyed our country around, around those times. Like oh yes, with the help of the United States, of, of course. course, Israel and United States. <laughs> they always want us like in a bad situation. Why is that? Why? Well, no. Okay, let's go back a few decades. Iran was the perfect ally of the United States in the Middle East in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the United States was really happy to rely on a relatively stable, corrupt and uh, dictatorial regime. Because the Shah was a stable ally. And he was, at least, they thought that he was maintaining order in his own country. And Iran was part of the, uh, the blockade of the Soviet Union. Basically, the Soviet Union and the communist bloc was surrounded by allies of the United States mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Europe, Middle East, Central Asia. Then you can go to the Pacific region. It's like a containment, uh, like a internment zone, <laughs> but a global one to maintain uh, security and stability and make sure that the communist ideology doesn't spread uh, to other countries. Mm-hmm. And Iran was very useful in that. In the 1950s, when Mossadegh... Uh, won the elections, and he became, uh, I believe, uh, president? No, prime minister. Prime minister. He was removed with the help of the CIA, because they didn't want a guy like him in power. No, they wanted a corrupt dictator in power, because it was more convenient for them. Now, today, it's a little bit different, because officially, United States and Iran are mortal enemies, you know, death to America and all that. Yeah. But that's on the surface, no? Yes, they can still negotiate, just like the United States is negotiating with Russia today about Ukraine, behind Ukraine's back, but that's a different story. Mm, Yes, as long as they can work together without firing any missiles. But that's also... Iran, I don't think they would use nuclear weapons against anyone, not against their own people or anybody else. Because they are just a guarantee. They are not... It's not an actual threat against any other country. At least I don't think so. They Why? exist just to keep the regime in power. Are you, are you saying that like, they're not that crazy to like, just yeah. send them a out to somewhere? Yeah, they are not suicidal. Uh, as far as I know. <laughs> but they're going to die anyway if the revolution happens. Not necessarily. Like Idi Amin was able to leave Uganda and live somewhere else after he was removed and he was a really <laughs> murderous person. Yeah, that's true. But I, I don't think that like people in Uganda didn't have that much power like uh, in foreign countries to bring them back or bring him back. But we have like in foreign countries, we have a lot of a like, connection. If some of them like would 
run away to Canada or America. There are like tons of like Iranians in Canada and America. They're just gonna grab them and like. Yeah, I don't think they would go to Canada. <laughs> Maybe China. Who knows? Oh yeah, China. Oh okay. If if they go to China, they probably or can't North catch Korea them. Or... Yeah. Just somewhere to leave. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think they would use the weapons. I mean, they are there to guarantee the safety of the regime and the survival of the regime. They're not there to be used against other countries. Just like, you know, North Korea always flexes its muscles, but they're shooting their rockets into the ocean, so in the Japanese sea. They have a lot of it. They're like, yeah, let's just let's just send some of them to the to the yeah, ocean. Yeah, to show force. But I don't think even the North Korean regime would be suicidal and start shooting at South Korea because then North Korea would cease to exist. Do you see a future? Like, how how long it would take to, uh, for for the Middle East to get better than this? Mm, a few hundred years. Few hundred, few hundred years. I don't know. Nobody knows the answer. In an optimistic way, I guess, few hundred years, huh? Maybe. <laughs> but for that, a lot of things would have to change. Like, again, the real question is what the great powers want with that region. Because the Middle East is being used as a playground between... Still, in the old days, it was the United States and the USSR. Now it's between the United States and Russia. Look at Syria. It's still a front line, basically. Yeah. And it continues to be so because Russia has the only remaining naval base that it still controls. So they have their last remaining naval base in Syria mm -hmm. that is outside of Russia. And they will not give it up. Whatever happens, they want it. And of course, they want the pro-Russia government, the regime of Assad in Syria, to remain in power. That's it. Mm -hmm. Without Russian help, he would have probably been toppled already. Although in Syria, you know, he was always more popular than the Western media would like you to believe. Or not popular, but pe people still thought that he was the lesser evil. Like, uh, yeah. That's... But uh, I wanted to ask you something, actually, about uh, this... Like, um, countries like Emirates or Qatar or Kuwait. These countries have been, like, dev developing, like, a lot this past few years this past decades basically what happened to them like they they're like going crazy the economy is going really good like the people are happy they have the great uh support from the government people are like ha like uh, having well, all the all the benefits of the okay that's again a different situation but the, these are these are Middle East Middle Eastern countries as well. Yeah, but they work closely together with the United States mm -hmm. and now Israel, thanks to Trump. So they have a close relationship with the United States, and even, okay, in Saudi Arabia there were also movements like the Shia minority rose up against the Saudi regime mm -hmm. in 2011 after the Arab Spring. But the regime was maintained because the United States wants the regime to stay there. It's more convenient for them to have a... 
not always loyal ally because the Saudis sometimes do interesting things that go against American interest. But still, it's more beneficial to them to keep the Saudis in power. The Emirates are perfect for everybody because the Emirates are like uh, <laughs> a global uh, center for smuggling, for spying, uh, for naughty deals. It's the perfect place. Everybody goes there to make deals. So it's great to have that over there. What kind of deals do you mean? Shady deals between governments and between governments and terrorist organizations and who knows what else. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's the perfect place for these kind of deals and for spying on each other and yeah. So we can't really like in order to be like Emir Iran Iran to be like uh like Emirates, we need to have a very good connection with America and Israel and like we need to uh, try to uh like compromise with them. Is that a deal? Absolutely. If if there is a potential new regime on the horizon that has minimal chance of grabbing power, they have to make a deal with at least two great powers, China and the United States at least, but probably Russia as well. Because nobody wants to lose their interest in Iran. Of course, both China and Russia have certain interests in Iran with the existing regime. So they will have to be dealt with, or talked to at least, to reassure them that, okay, we will maintain good relations with you. And then America, of course. You mm -hmm. cannot go around Big Daddy America because... You know, They're the police of the world. Basically. Even if they don't want to be, but yeah... Now it's they don't want to be? They, of course they want to be. Some of them don't, at least on paper, but you know, they somehow end up always <laughs> in yeah. the same situation. They always try to control, but they never uh, actually do good. They instead destroy the countries instead of like doing any good to them. Yes. Uh, it's like what always... happened in Afghanistan, for example? Yes. It's not always their fault, because sometimes the situation doesn't really offer good outcomes. But they keep trying because they are a global empire and if they don't try, then everybody will take it as a sign of weakness. And if they don't go in, then somebody else will. Or that somebody else will try more stuff because they will think that, aha, the USA is weaker now, so we have more chance of doing something naughty. And the Americans are freaking, about, freaking out about the rise of China, so... If, even if they're, they talk about Russia all the time, in reality, China is number one enemy. So that's going to be the main problem in the coming decades. A declining power, USA, relatively declining, and a rising power in the East. So we, we should expect a uh, rising power of China, no? Absolutely, and India. Um, but they're gonna—they're not gonna be stronger than America. Maybe they're gonna get to a point of America, but USA, but not really stronger than that. They're not gonna be like, are we gonna go to communism? Like every country like has to follow. Uh, no, China doesn't have communism. It's just on paper, of course. Now they have perfect capitalism. Yeah, that's true. That's true. With a one-party system, but uh, yeah. It's, that's more like an eastern dictatorial regime 
with a communist label on it. But if you take off the label... They're not really communism, no? Yeah, 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 not really. They're just, they they just it up. Because it didn't work. Yeah, it didn't work. They realized that, okay, if capitalism works, then why not? Because, yeah, I mean, they have more money now. They have more power in their, yeah. like... Uh, we are. Oh, we have come a long way from the Iranian topic. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. We just got drifted but, apart. Yeah. We are actually returning to the norm of 1500s, 1400s, with China and India as the two major powers. Even back then, you didn't see it militarily, but economically, they were the two major powers because of their size before the rise of Europe. And we are returning to that, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the next question I have is that, like... Um Uh, what are the char characteristics of revolution? Like, what are the basically signs of that a revolution going to happen at the end of the day? If that makes sense. In, in most cases, like I said before, there are underlying tensions and movements within society. Mm -hmm. So there is a situation that's not good and it's getting worse. Most most of the time it's about your living standards and people try to compromise for a while but if they reach a certain point where they think that it, things cannot go on like this then suddenly something happens like the girl with the hijab in iran mm -hmm. and it's just gonna people ignite. just yeah they just go on the streets and protest but the real question is uh, even before we get to an actual revolution, the real question is, how do you convince the masses that now it's safe enough to go on the streets together? And if we do, it's going to be better than before. Because in most cases, the silent majority stays at home. They need something decisive, something big enough to make everybody freak out to go on the streets in the millions. And nobody can predict when and how it happens. What could that thing be? Like, what does, what does history says, for example? It's different in every country. In the case of France, millions of people were almost starving. Like they didn't have enough money, they could barely have enough food, and uh, they were overtaxed. And there was a population crisis, mm -hmm. like too many uh, overpopulated country, not enough economic development. And eventually poor people got fed up with the existing regime. And the regime, more specifically the king, was weak and indecisive enough to let things continue like uh, they got out of hand in but the case of england a hundred years before that uh, there were more and more conflicts between the new so social classes that were gaining more power and influence and the king who was trying to maintain the old uh, hierarchy basically and the conflict between the parliament and the king got out of hand after a while, and it ended up in a civil war that lasted 20 years. 
but each revolution is different because the country is different the so society itself is different in china it was interesting in 1989 with a strong communist regime and millions of people went on out on the streets in beijing and some other cities because people thought that okay the regime could be changed and we could have more democracy more freedom to speak more freely about what needs to be done in the country and at first especially student leaders were uh, very important and at first even though it was a strong central communist regime the leaders of the regime actually sat down with student leaders on tv and they talked to them and the student leaders were sh shouting at the party leaders That's about what needs to be done mm -hmm. and after that the regime thought okay maybe we should stop here <laughs> because if we go on tv debates with these young people who don't know anything what what will happen next and then more and more people joined the movement like they thought okay now we have an actual chance and we see tens of thousands on thousands of people on the street let's go out and let's call the workers from the factories and let's call the other students from other cities or universities and then let's uh, protest together but after a while the regime thought okay this cannot go on like this we have to stop this so they called in the army and they crushed the revolution and thousands of people died but it was interesting that first the regime actually tried to talk to them because maybe they thought that they didn't pose an actual threat and then after that they changed their mind and thought okay this is too dangerous for us so we need a strong hand and strong response so is it a sign of weakness actually if a regime would be sitting in a, in a t on a table and discuss stuff and like try to compromise yes if it's a dictatorial regime yes because then it gives hope for more people that okay maybe they are feeling weak why else would they talk to us so maybe it gives uh, hope for more people to go out and it gives them encouragement to go out but this this kind of like feels that uh it would give a chance to that uh, regime in order to change no yeah but regimes usually don't want to change so why they come to the <laughs> why did they come to they come to the table then for what reason hmm maybe because they think that they have a better position and they can prove that uh, the protesters are full of shit it's difficult to say or a momentary weakness like uh, maybe there's an internal struggle within the regime some leaders think that okay maybe we can compromise and others think no 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 if we, we compromise something bad then we're done yeah we're done uh, like in france the king was ready to compromise he didn't want to send the army to massacre the people but uh, i think it was his brother or un not uncle but it was a relative who was always with him and he was really against the whole thing and he was trying to convince the king be more active be <laughs> be more decisive mm -hmm. but the king was not sure of himself so there is usually when it comes to the existing regime just like in the revolutionary movement there are people who think that compromise is better and there are people who think no 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 compromise at all 
we have to crush this whole thing. So yeah, always there are probably dozens of different things going on within the regime and within the revolutionary movement. And of course, in many occasions, the revolution, like they say, like they like to say that the revolution eats its own children. Like those who lead the revolution will end up in prison by, because their own comrades who actually eventually grab power will destroy them. So that's also another important factor for those who want to execute revolution. So those people who get the power, they will execute um, those comrades that they were like helping them, you mean? Yes, or the first generation of leaders will eventually disappear because the second generation wants to get rid of them. Or maybe the revolution is led by idealists who are not really good leaders, or at least they seem to be, and then there are the people who are behind them and they are less important at first, but they are better at actually managing power, they finally get into position and then they get rid of the original idealists. So there are lots of factors and it's always really complicated. From the outside it, it would it could seem like a, like a simple Star Wars movie that you know good guys, bad guys and then <laughs> finally the good guys win and yay. It's not that simple, is it? Never. Yeah, take a look at Iraq. Afghanistan, all the Arab Spring, Spring countries. Where are they now, 11 years after? I wish uh, 50 years ago they would just, Shah would just shoot the freaking fucking plane in, of Khomeini and just kill him right away so we didn't have this disaster right now. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this before. Yes. Yeah. Some people think us. that uh, when the Khomeini was flying back to Iran from France, I believe, maybe his plane could have been shot down and then no revolution. But again, a lot of people were fed up with that regime as well. Like, uh, I remember you said that they killed their own uh, friends and comrades. Um, I don't really remember the guy's name, but he was um, it was the f he was the person that supported Khomeini uh, like financially mm -hmm. in France, bought his house, like uh, accommodate him, everything, all that. And when Shah left and Khomeini came back to Iran, he actually chartered the whole flight of him, you mm. know he sent this guy to Iran. But uh, when the revolution happened, everything happened, just like they start killing some like um, people who were against the uh, Islamic Republic. Uh, this guy who brought Khomeini back from France to, to Iran uh, was like protesting, was like, what, what is going on? We didn't do the revolution to actually like, you kill people like who goes again who go against you that's mm -hmm. ridiculous and you know what happened homie executed him too oopsie yeah <laughs> <laughs> he hanged him yeah well in all these cases when somebody is sent to a certain country to uh, lead a revolutionary movement 
you have to look at who is behind that person. And the real question is who will be more powerful? Like, like will this leader be just a puppet? Or he or she will be his or her own person and the people who are behind him or her will lose influence over time. In many cases, look at all these, um, not just the evil dictators in Latin America, but every time the US interferes in a country and installs a supposedly democratic regime, look at that person who is leading the regime, the new supposedly democratic regime. They are usually pro-Western, educated in US, who knows, maybe CIA assets, but uh, <laughs> let's not talk about that. And they are not really popular at home because everybody looks at that person as a, not like maybe not a traitor, but as, as an outsider. When uh, Karzai, Karzai went to Afghanistan and he was the president of Afghanistan mm -hmm. after the US troops removed uh, the Taliban. Mm -hmm. He was always talking about how Afghanistan will become, you know, a stable democratic country, but his regime was extremely corrupt and he didn't really have support at home because he was he was looked at as an outsider. Look at the political leaders of Iraq after Saddam. They didn't really garner a lot of support in Iraq. And then, no wonder, the country submerged in ethnic and religious conflict because they were not really looked upon as strong leaders. And especially if society itself is used to have a strong and decisive leader who is almost like a god. It's always like that in the Middle East for some reason. It's always like that everywhere. Is it? Yeah. In Europe? Still people want a strong and decisive leader. Like, that's why they elect presidents and prime ministers. It's like tempered a little, little bit. Like, you don't look at, uh, okay, who's the chancellor of Germany? <laughs> I even <laughs> forgot his name. is so <laughs> irrelevant. Yeah. But people still believe that a country should be led by a strong and decisive person. Otherwise, why would they elect him or her? It's still, it's a desire that, we should be led by somebody who's strong. And, of course, it's not the same as it was 500 years ago, but in many regions of the world it is. I feel like we're bluffing that, um, oh yeah, let's take care of that country, let's take care of this country, or like, we need to, we need to be like, you know, uh, we are all the same and stuff like that. But the, I feel like we still have this deep very dark desire to only care about our own tribes you yeah, know it's perfectly and, normal yeah and uh i say dark and because like yes and and the morality of today that we have uh we have today basically is that like yeah we all humans and we need to take care of each other and all that you know yeah but that's bullshit for the public no no <laughs> that was never true yeah i mean we just saying it but we never yeah. can like really actually act on it because at the end of the day like you know we are not the same we are different it's funny because the people who say that we are all the same at the same time they are saying that we are all different we are all individuals 
But uh, the thing is that like the there's not a real answer to this question. Like, are we same? Are we not same? Are we like coming from? Uh, I mean, at some like the, the, uh, as you said at the uh, start of this podcast, on um, on a very basic level, we are maybe the same, right? Yeah, but uh, that's exactly why we are not the same, <laughs> because we have the same underlying principles and desires and emotions we don't want to be the same it's always us against you or us against them what do you what do you mean we don't want to be same because we don't want to be like uh copying each other we change it or what exactly what do you mean well germans don't want to be afghanis and afghanis don't want to be germans that's just one example but that's on the uh, yeah but that's on the superficial level no on, on the surface, it's like on a cultural level. Yeah, but on a deeper level, which is like the humanity and morality and values and all that, we just want to be. But we, we don't like have the same values. And some of the, maybe most of the values were beaten into us <laughs> by others. <laughs> so it, they don't really come from inside. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that, like 100%. Especially in the society that propaganda is like the big deal in like the TV and media. They're just yes. trying to like implement the whole idea of like how to, how to live and like what to do or where to go or what to wear, what to yes. say. Like they cancel you if you say something wrong or like say your opinion because like... Yes, we are actually, yeah, even in the West, we are returning to some form of dictatorship. Because we don't really want to live in freedom. There's always one group who is trying to grab power and attain, obtain more influence and power over society. And today it's the people who are supposedly liberal and welcoming and inclusive and everything. But they want to tell everybody else what to think and what to do. That's not exactly... How it works. Yeah. That's, not, that's not really liberal, is it? Yeah, it's just another form of dictatorship that is being built right now by people who love power. Yeah, just I, I don't think forcing ideologies on other people uh, it's, it's a good idea. It's never going to end up in a good situation because everybody has their own value and trying to make their own value. If you're just going to push this stuff on them, they're not going to like feel themselves. and. Yeah, but that's one of our underlying basic desire to tell everybody else to be like us. And of course, they, those others will resist. And there we go, we have a conflict. But that's how human beings have always been. I mean, that's our existence, basically. That's why religions always try to spread, because you should be like us. You should think like us. Your religion is not as good as mine, because mine is the only true religion. But it's the same desire as in politics and the media and everywhere else culture, education. Like today, education is not really about education, it's about ideological indoctrination look mm -hmm. at universities that they push this propaganda you can be anyone anything you want you can be a pony you can be a hippo it doesn't matter as long as you believe that you are a dog you can be a dog it doesn't matter gender doesn't exist and all this bullshit yeah it's like they, they forget that they try to they try to distort the reality for you, basically, you know, they, they try to, like, 
give you this imagine beautiful imagination of like or like uh like um sugar-coated life basically yeah. which doesn't really exist if you if you really go deep they they try to like you know make this bubble around you and you're gonna just be it's like you know stay in this bubble and never grow basically never like define your own values never define your own boundaries you just always follow other people's opinion always follow up up uh, other people's value basically which yeah. is absolutely ridiculous because in order to actually uh improve improve like in your life in your personality and like who you are you need to actually dive into your own psyche to realize what's your own values what's you what's what who are you what are you so maybe the people who are pushing this agenda at universities and other institutions maybe they don't want people to grow yeah they, they, they want everybody to be sane yeah like i always had a, for example i always had a problem with uniforms in school hmm. It's it's a ridiculous like rule. Like why do everybody everybody's not the same? You're not supposed to dress everybody the same. Mm, yeah, but the unif behind the, the idea behind the uniforms is that you don't see the difference between rich and poor families. So people don't that kids don't try to imitate others or they don't go home complaining that oh my friend has a lot more money, why don't we have more money? That's but basically that's a, that's a valid question. Yeah, but the idea is that students will not be obsessed with this difference between families. But they, yes, I, I understand, I understand But at that. the same time, if you go out on the street, you see uniforms all the time. You have the fashion of the day, you look at people and you see five, six different styles, but that's it. And yes. everybody follows the those same five, six. Yes, yes that's, that's absolutely true, actually. That's absolutely like uh, you. You kind of follow these like uh, celebrities or influencers that like they whatever they wear. Like probably tomorrow, a lot of people gonna wear that too. You know? Yeah. Because and, yeah, that's basically very human. People just want to be followers. They don't really want to do that themselves. They don't really. They don't really want to struggle it's in that. It's more convenient to be a follower or a fan of. It's somebody. easier, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the easiest thing to do is complain about everything, and which is why most people do that, <laughs> like every single day. <laughs> but uh, I don't think that's the same. Like being, a f is it being actually a follower? Is it a bad thing? No, if you don't want to reach or achieve anything in life, then no, it's not a bad thing. Achieve achieve something personally, basically. Yeah. But most people don't, so it's fine. <laughs> just, just just follow somebody else's opinion yeah just have a shitty job be a good consumer that's it shut up eat <laughs> that's basically yeah it. just just go to go to work come back and never be satisfied with your life and then like at the end of the life just die yeah that's perfectly fine for governments and for companies businesses yeah no Why competitors not? basically well yeah it's better to have a population that doesn't think yeah just consume that's it that's Act your job as a robot basically yeah consumer drone this is but like then a, again oh this is the this very is a very like dark like if you want to like <laughs> dive into this like we're gonna we, we can talk about this for like another hour probably and then the question becomes should iran have a revolution just or, just to follow this path 
to become like us yeah is it a good is it, thing is it, yeah is it a good idea actually i mean it, yeah. is is europe uh are, are european countries are happy yeah, is is yeah, is, yeah. is canada actually like democracy we just talk about it yeah not really yes and no <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's high <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not a bad thing it's progress I, guess. <laughs> I, i like that i like everybody high <laughs> They they're nicer <laughs> Yeah, because they're high. <laughs> <laughs> they're friendlier. Uh, Peter, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, I'm really, I'm really happy to have you here, and uh, thank you for your time, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I'll see you later. Bye bye. <laughs>